0: We will be continuing in the Gospel of John. We will continue from where Pastor Jason left off at verse 26. Uh, but I want to make a mention in particular with some of the uh, additions and old versions that you have with your Bible. If some of you have the New American Standard, you will note that there are some breaks in between certain passages. For example, after verse 19, by right, verse 20, it reads that the Greeks seek Jesus. And then after verse 26, Jesus foretells his death. If you are looking at the New King James Version, you will note here after verse 19, um, beginning of verse 20, it takes talks about the fruitful grain of wheat. And then after verse 26, it indicates that Jesus predicts his death on the cross. And then after verse 36, it has a notion of who has believed his report. Now, I bring this up in regards to uh, not trying to uh, say that one version is better than the other, but the breaks uh, personify what uh, the... Individuals who was making the translation of the text I was trying to make em- emphasis in the particular message And where we've arrived in particular Is after Pastor Jason reiterated on verse 26 In regards to the Messiah's note, uh, notation At verse 27 he still continues his discourse So what I would like to do Is We will read from verse 27 on to verse 36 But we will take the discourse from 23 on to 28 to have it as a complete thought Therefore, today's sermon will be on verses 27 to 36 And it reads Now is my soul troubled What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, This voice has come for your sake, not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus answered them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtakes you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of the light. When Jesus had said these things, he had departed and hid himself from them. Shall I now let to the Lord our God in prayer? Father, we do thank you on this Saturday that you've given us, Lord. And we come to this portion of the service in the means of grace in which your word, your very word, is being preached on to the people. To be with thy servant as he teach and feed your sheep and be with them that they may have a childlike love and a willing mind to receive the word. And this is again showing to the world that you have not left us in stupor, but to open our eyes, feed our soul, and continue to edify us by your spirit. And in this we say thank you. It's a Christmas holy and precious name we pray. Amen. Now, I said all that because... Again, the discourse with the Messiah that he has with the people is a show. A time or significant event is about to transpire. All this by recap. And I'm going to go to particularly to verse number 20. We have some individuals who requested to see the Messiah. Of which they garner Philip. And Philip then garners Andrew. And they both go to the master. Now we're not told that the master comes out of his perch in particular to meet the Greeks but it can be understood by verse 29 the crowd stood there and heard him speak so then by implicit evidence here we can see that in verse 23 he does come out and speaks to them now what's interesting is that in this little discourse there is not a response from the Greeks and or the crowd see the Lord is not allowed to speak until verse number 29. So between 23 to 28, the Lord begins and conducts his discourse. But by verse number 27 to which we arrived here today, a question should be posed. Why does he state my soul is troubled? If you recall when we were in chapter 11 by verse 33, we read and heard. When Jesus saw her very weeping and the Jews that came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. Are these two alike? No, they're actually not. The two terms, each actually in the literal Greek, are actually quite different. In verse 33 in chapter 11, the literal translation is pneuma. But here in verse 27 of chapter 12, we have the Greek term psyche and these terms are in context with its appropriate clauses in chapter 11 by verse 33 the pneuma is more associated in context with the spirit or more so the metaphysical in regards to those actual beings and especially it's very particular for Jesus being fully God and fully man this particular notion Within scripture shows a consistent text with that very thought. I bring you to Mark twelve thirty six. David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. But here in verse 27 and our dichotomy of being man, we have body and soul, soul, Of Which embodies all man is particularly spoken here by verse 12 I'm sorry in chapter 12 and verse 30 of mark again. It reads here You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength So by good and necessary deduction the master here is speaking from human terms his soul is troubled and What is more particularly interesting? is he is not moved by what he's seen and or who are there. He's moved because he declares the time is arriving to which he is to bring all men to himself. Now, when looking at the beginning of this chapter, until now, we have seen some things that should alert reader in here respectively. A particular event is about to transpire. For we know by gratitude Mary whom Jesus loved cleans and wipes his feet with one of the most expensive ointments of their time. And synonymous with the other gospels in Matthew 26 and Mark 14 we know or can be noted she poured it even on his head. And what the Lord states in particular, I'll read by Mark 14 6, she's done a beautiful thing to me. And for what purpose? The time came and it was to transpire that by John twelve seven, in agreement with Matthew 12, Matthew 26 12, and Mark 14 8, and pouring this ointment on my body, she has done it to prepare me for burial. Now, what's particular in clause? Pastor Jason brings up a very acute point. For where in Matthew and Mark, we're only told of a woman and the disciples, or one of the disciples, John here was being descriptive and putting names to the individuals. His comparison in the juxtaposition is accurate and is actually apparent. Therefore, as we're going to continue in this allotment of the passage, we're going to see this in light, but it's only a prelude because by verses 37 to 50, we're going to see truly, truly, is these people coming to really seek the Messiah? So, I will begin by notating another instant. In scripture, it is shown with Matthew 26, Mark 14, and here in John 12, the Lord was anointed with a very expensive amount of oil. And by scripture notation, it's showing that his body was prepared for burial as to the time that was to transpire. But was this the only time the Lord was anointed? Here's another instance with their Bibles. If you like, turn to Luke seven and we will begin at verse 37 because I want to bring this notion across. It reads, and behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner when she learned that he was reclining at the table in a Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flax of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She begins to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair and Kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this he said to himself if this man were a prophet He would have known who and what sort of woman This is who is touching him for she is a sinner and Jesus answering said to him Simon I have something to say to you. And Simon responds, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled a debt of both. Now which one of them would love him more? Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he cancels a larger debt. And he said, You have judged rightly. And noting just upon this particular adage that the Lord is using, he uses this parable to show what was to transpire and what was to come. Because you see here, he then said to him after then explaining that he's judged rightly. He turned towards the woman and he continues to Simon estate. But who but he who is forgiven little loves little and by verse forty eight he said to the woman your sins are forgiven You see the reason why I bring this adage is because yes the time is coming and is near that the Messiah is going to take to that sacrifice. Jason brought it accurately and appropriately, but it's a piece to the bigger. Picture salvation of his sheep. The necessary sacrifice he was to make had it end to a means. And what's even foretelling is that in the woman who sought the Messiah, the Greeks in and of themselves came to worship, sought him as well. So, it's interesting I bring this note again because was considered with that time and age, John makes a notion that these individuals were of Greek descent. Why is that important? Well, I'll take to Calvin because he's done good research on the historical context. He reads, and I paraphrase, but there is some verbatim to this, but I'm wanting to notate to you. There is some there is a paraphrase, but I'll read here. It was strictly prohibited by the Roman laws and severely punished by the proconsuls or other magistrates. If any person was discovered to have left the worship of his native country and passed over to the Jewish religion, he would be punished. But Jews who were scattered throughout Asia and Greece were allowed to cross the sea for the purpose of offering sacrifices in the temple. Christ was to be received as king Not only by the inhabitants of Judea But those who had came from the villages And towns to the feast And So much so was the report That it had reached men who lived beyond the sea And in distant countries That the Greeks Through the indication of reverence They could not address the Christ But desired to obtain access Through Philip A king Particular notion here is I'm showing the dynamic in the Comparison contrast between Those who See what has Transpired the Messiah Is walking on the face Of the earth And what I want to make that's very Telling of this situation Is in this The want And the reverence to come To him These Greeks took to the notion of risking their lives. But it didn't matter to them. They sought to seek his face. Now, what's even more interesting, especially that they were of Jewish uh, lineage, is that they still wanted to obey the law of God. So, they were commanded to worship in their own house in a spiritual man- manager, but under the law, they were to perform outward worship and obedience, and therefore they made their appearance to the temple at that particular time. So what does our Lord say after meeting them? He states it, and I will read it all now from verse 23 to 28 in its own bracket here. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and it dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it. Whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now. My soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Now, the reader in here must be wondering, with Mary's anointment, the soul, the soul of the master being troubled. And with the master using such clauses here in chapter 12. A grain of wheat falls onto the earth and dies and it remains alone. But if it dies it bears much fruit. And for this purpose I have come in this hour. I say yes. It is true. He is showing all the evidence of what this significant event is to transpire. But again the purpose of his coming is seen as we will look now at verse 31 to 33. Now is the judgment of this world. The ruler of this world will be cast out and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. See, with this view, it is alike the woman who stands behind his feet, weeping she begins to wet his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair. She kisses him and anoints him with oil just to hear the words from him, your sins are forgiven. And to the Jewish Greeks, who with reverence did not come directly, but they came through Philip to see the master So it's in here, the master is notating the significance of the event, the drawment of people onto him because it is evident again by his own words. I will now cast out the rule of this world. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Now, the master notes, in the beginning with the analogy, as the wheat dies, everyone assumes that it has lost its life because the kernel and or seed has fallen from its life source. But that's not true, for on the contrary, note the beginning of a tree. When it starts from a seed, it sprouts up. And with a stem, not before long in the harvest time, we note its fruit and how much it has bared. So the gospel does the same thing in its due time. When the master takes his death and is buried and from the burial he's resurrected in the same body, the new administration has arrived. And again, note the clause for those who are in the audience. Now is the judgment when the ruler will be cast out from this world. And I, when I am lifted up, will draw all people to myself. Note here in this next clause, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. As to the woman in Luke, her reputation was notorious and infamous. Luke 739, the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, and he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known Who and what sort of woman who is touching him? She is a sinner, but with her filthy hands and her sully reputation, all she can do was weep and kiss the master. So then note the words of the master to Peter and Luke. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has ceased, she has not yet ceased to kiss my feet. And you did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. It's clear here, the notation of which the Messiah is making an indication of those who love their life will lose it. This woman has seen a turn upon the presence of the Messiah. And knowing her reputation, sullied, notorious and infamous, never ceased to show her gratitude. And she would not stop. She would not cease until he said those words. Your sins are Forgiven So then note the next clause She is appropriate to when the Messiah Says whoever hates his life In this world Will keep it for Eternal life She would not stop weeping Kissing and bathing him until He said the words you are Forgiven and upon which We today we have a certain Attitude that we assume We make this Clear assumption We've already received eternal life. That is not true. We must behave as such and never ceasing to look towards obedience. We may never cease to look to obey God. Because note then what the sacrifice caused our own Lord and Savior to state. Now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? He notes it in a liken to our humanity. We, when faced with troubled times, to our very core, will feel shaken at the very heart. We will be disturbed. We will be distraught. He denotes he himself is also shaken because he's tormented to his human soul that he has to bear the sin of the world. His death And the employment of it must happen only by him. For from the mystery that from the beginning of time he was set with a task to take. Because the sacrifice was the ultimate. And he notates in stating, Father, should I say to him, save me from this hour? The father would not do so. Because the father... Expected it and it was tasked and agreed upon that he will take this death the harmony to the old Isaiah 53 10 and 11 yet. It was the will of the Lord to crush him He has to be put to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt He shall see his offering As we continue back now to John 12 by verse 26, the master then denotes, speaking in the humanist terms, that he will not seek to go against his father's plan, but he and the father are one. And in the father doing the work of salvation through him, he's denoting to us the servitude like the woman in Luke. Is expected of us as well. He notes in verse 26. If anyone serves me. He must follow me. And the reward. Where I am. There will my servant be also. And to denote again. If anyone serves me. In my relationship with the father. As the father honors me. The father will honor him. As well. You know it's amazing that. The master denotes that death will befall us all. But to gain eternal life, we must embrace the signs of obedience. And you know what's interesting? We know that day is coming, but some of us will still fret. Some of us will still wonder, did I do enough? And if you had that idea, you have it wrong. Because then you thought you did enough to garner salvation. Rather than lean on Christ to show the work of the Spirit in your hearts and in your attitude and in your actions to give you confidence that when you do leave here, you will be with Him. That is what He's trying to convey to them there. They were worried and considered that if you were going to die, what do you expect to be? And so He acts rhetorically. The hours come. And now that I know my death is a coming is a present. Should I now tell my father then save me? No. I'm going to mitigate death. I'm going to cast out the ruler of this world. And I'm going to do what I was purposed to do. Draw all people to myself. And what is the honor. What does this honor entails? We will be where he is, as he denotes. But then by John 529, upon the resurrection, we'll have a resurrection onto life. We will not be like the individuals who die in their sins. We will not be like individuals who made the assumption, who made the understanding that I Help this person and help this person and garner this person. Surely I should go to heaven No He said through me and only through me can you receive life and this is what he was trying to exclaim to the Greeks The master must honor the father and in doing so he operates the office of mediator as he has been tasked to do especially denoting that he bears the title of Christ. So therefore, he denotes by verse 28, the Father, glorify your name. Our confession states with the Christ doing the work of mediator in chapter 8 by section 5a, the Lord Jesus Christ and his perfect obedience and sacrifice of himself through the eternal spirit once offered up unto God that has fully satisfied the justice of his father. He sacrificed himself because he wanted to obey his father. And you know what? The father and his love and being well pleased with him responded when he stated this, the voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Here the Father denotes the plan agreed before the foundation of the world will come to its place and it will be signified. And what to make of this voice because the direct communication is Jesus to the Father. But there are people who are hearing this being spoken. This adage is nothing new. In Exodus 20, by verses 18 through 20, it reads, Now when all the people saw the thunder and flashes of lightning and the sound of trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood afar and they said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Now note what Moses states by verse 20. Moses said to the people, Do not fear. For God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people now, 400 plus years later, were split, because for some who stood there, all they heard was thunder, and others who were there stated an angel has spoken to him. John here is continuing to judge. Suppose the people and the difference as alike to the beginning of the chapter. See, alike to Moses, here he too is being descriptive. All those who are present are dead in sin, but they could not hear God, and in fear, just in fear, do not even mention him. Here, the people who stated that an angel was spoken is a keen eye that by general revelation they can make out certain things that a creator has created the world but they could not identify the recipient so as a like to moses the messiah makes this point the voice has come for your sake not mine the messiah makes out who is that voice? Why? Like Moses, he states, and this is Moses speaking again, do not fear, for God has come to test you, that you may fear him, and that you may not sin. The adage here is that the Messiah has now come in to judge the world and cast out the devil and draw others to him. For he continues here: the judgment of this world has now come. And the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. This is not to be redundant. This is to show you this was the significance of the death. The Messiah showed, he honored the father. Father, glorify your name. And in the father's response, I will glorify it and I will glorify it again. Why? Because through him, through the Messiah, can you only come to the Father. That's the emphasis. The gospel message is being pointed and clear and here today. Many people who assume because of what they see in today's day and age, they assume the Messiah or the Godhead in particular, is slacking. He's allowed all this to transpire. Some denominations want to make makeshift of words and certain connotations when it comes to gender roles. So some of them want to discourage and not even associate with the father. Some of them want to make it more maternal. What will they find? They will find out very clearly in the resurrection that they are in a world of trouble. And the Messiah is showing here. Even to the Greeks. Because you got to remember. If they were of a particular. Ethnicity. They have come up through a school of thought. In their world. They have been. (laughs) iterated With tons of Greek. Thinking. And teaching. So here. In the Messiah doing his work. And providing doctrine. Is showing. Especially since they've been brought up. In the Jewish religion I am here the fulfillment so upon hearing the report note here how he's been they have been drawn to him it should be actually quite interesting because now he's making an emphasis the time is coming in terms of translation from the old uh, administration on to the new and what's going to be even more profounding Is when you get to the last portion of the chapter. Because you got to understand. He came to do a job. If he doesn't do the job. And he missed that one iota. He's not the Messiah. And that's what all these people were trying. To make evident of. In fact. (laughs) They even posed the question to him. Do you remember? They do so. In trying to bring up the law because they stated we have heard from the law that Christ remains forever how can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up who is this Son of Man so this judgment that the Messiah is speaking of when we hear it in the English connotation we always think about it in terms of something I would say dad is going to transpire but there is a verdict that has been passed Now, in the Greek, this term is called Crema. And it does denote that there is a quick and passing condemnation that is to transpire. But after every judgment and verdict, what must happen? Correction and or reformation. And this is what he's trying to denote here. Now, the correction and or reformation is going to transpire. I'm going to cast out the devil and I will now allow those to be drawn to myself. And it's not particularly the devil that's the concernment here. It's the fact that all the individuals who practice revolution, that's right. Revolution is not a Christian term. There is no revolt in Christianity. It never has been, and it never will be. So what is it? It's reformation. It's the reforming. Because what was intended in the garden, though it came with an expected application and or a plan, it was supposed to be brought anew again. And you know what's beautiful? He's actually giving them the truth. But again, he has to operate as the mediator of the covenant and fulfill all the scripture. And we're going to see that more in the latter portion of this chapter. But nonetheless, the people, again, assume that he's contradicting himself. And where do they get this adage from? Well, the adage is understood here that the prophets... And Ezekiel or Samuel to David speaks of the Christ living forever. Ezekiel 37, 25. 2 Samuel 7. And to David, Psalms 89. But this is just to name a few. So they're taking to the old to protect themselves to say that, are you really who you say you are? But, (laughs) the notation that he gives to them and while the notation is fierce, he already know that this has been a charge to bring him to the Sanhedrin. He knows it. So again, he could have plainly said, yes, I am the Messiah. But what does he do? Well, like to the Jews in John 2, like Nicodemus in John 3, like to the 5,000 in John 6, to the Sanhedrin in particular in John 8, and to the weeping Jews in John 11, he answers with doctrine. For he states for a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light so that the darkness will not overtake you. He who walk in the darkness does not know where he goes. Now, it shouldn't be to anybody's astonishment that he uses again the light and dark comparison. Because in regards to his use of the term, I brought to you earlier, when we were going through this series, about the style that John is using to be in a light in a world of darkness and upon which he shines bright. He, in his gospel, shines bright so forth that darkness cannot engulf it. He provides the light into which we are to walk in righteousness. He provides the light in which we are to walk in his statutes. And it's also apparent that when all people are drawn to himself and he spoke about this again earlier with verse 31 to 32, (laughs) when he's lifted up on the cross and people see that he is he, some will come to know that this was truly the son of man. And it's interesting that bring up the notion of the cross because also in this particular adage and chapter of, of of this particular section He wants to denote how he's going to die and uh, I think a lot of people at that time weren't knowing how the Messiah was going to die. I mean in ancient Rome they took to executing their people by burying them alive some will be impaled or stabbed beheaded Uh, Fed to the lions or beasts in the Colosseum or by crucifix. But what's amazing again is the harmony to show that he's the fulfillment. For from the old in Deuteronomy 21 to 23, Moses spoke that if any man committed a sin worthy of death, he is to be put to death and hang him on a tree. But as we see in the new, as with John twelve, especially in particular thirty two, but here with first Peter two twenty four, He bore our sins on his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live in righteousness. Galatians three thirteen Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written curse is everyone who is hanged on a tree. This is why he acts the people there for a little while longer. The light is among you, but while you have it walk with the light. And it's amazing that it is an admonishment and statement here as denoting himself as a light, as acute as he stated before in John eight twelve. He wants them to take this time that you don't want to shut your eyes because all you see when you shut your eyes is darkness. And if your eyes are shut and darkness engulfs you, you will stumble because you can't see, especially the truth that is in front of you. But if you embrace me, from me, I will light your path. Your eyes are open and you will walk in righteousness. Isaiah sixty nineteen. The sun shall be no more, your light by day. Nor for brightness shall the moon give you light, but the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. And he states, if you believe in me, you possess the light and become the sons of light. And with harmony to the New Testament, Ephesians 5, 7 through 9, do not become partners, with those of the old for at one time you were in darkness but now you are light in the Lord walk as children of the light for the fruit of the light is found in all that is good right and true at the end of Luke 7 with the woman the Pharisees posed the question who is this man who even can forgive sins and alike to our Master, He ignores them because their eyes are shut. They could not see as the woman saw who He was. And what does the Master say to let her go after saying, Your sins are forgiven? Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. That is what the Lord is giving us today. Is peace and in particular when you think about the time you're going to come to that point of death we should not be frantic or upset our hearts should be calm because if you truly were obedient you will also know you will be going in peace at the conclusion of this the verse it also reads in particular, that when Jesus said these things, he had departed and hid themselves himself from them. Depending on your Bible version, this may be segued and clumped with verse 37 until the end. So I will stop here to allow Pastor Jason to segue and close the chapter. But this message is a notion to us. As with the Greeks who had reverence to come to him, as with the woman who saw him in the flesh and did not want to leave his presence without hearing the words, because of her sullied reputation, you are forgiven. We today, if we are truly, truly people of the book, we are truly sons of the light, we should always seek his presence. We heard earlier today, the mention and the understanding of the means of grace and why this particular time should be set aside because we want to embrace the presence of God. Not by the means of what we sing, not by the means of how good we sing or what a choir would entail. is upon the means of grace we have been afforded. We gave our prayers and supplications today So by faith, we believe like the Messiah having conversation with the father and the father responds to him and him only. He didn't respond to us. He responded to him. And in that day, it's the same thing. He said the voice when it spoke was not for my sake, but for yours. Why? Because you must come through me. He uses the adages and the verbs again and again. Come through me. And if you come through me, there is reward. There is blessings. We can tell people, God bless you all the time, but God won't bless them if they're disobedient. That is simple. That is very simple. People are naive to throw these adages around, but not realize the work that it takes that comes with it so God does he does move his plan to conclusion and as we're going to see especially with verses 37 to 50 it's going to pass whether you like it or you don't it's very 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 simple but in seeing how the way he reacts with everyone else, it's just going to show and assign to us. Just like Moses said, do not fear. It is so that he may test us to show that we do not condone sin. Let's look to the Lord our God in prayer.